Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Clefay. We're back with another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I have the pleasure of interviewing someone I actually recently uh, saw speak at a, a, at a retreat. Uh, so Ron Tite is an award-winning creative director for some of the world's most respected brands. He's a CEO and founder of Church and State, an agency that combines and unifies advertising with content. He has a book that he actually passed out at the retreat, which I'm currently reading. It's called Everyone's an Artist, but I know that you're coming out with another one, Ron, so I'm also excited to read that one. Thanks again for being here, man. I'm, I've been honestly really looking forward to this conversation. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So tell me one thing. I mean, one of the things that really struck me, and I was doing you know, some research, obviously, I, I watched some of your, um, your video interviews, some of the speaking things that you've done. And one of the things you said was, you know, I, I think like, you're, you're basically in competition with the internet, and right now the internet's kicking our ass. So can, can you kind of give more clarity on that, why you think that is, and, and maybe what your answer is to kind of solving that? Well, I think that can be, depending on the person or the organization, that can come from a variety of different perspectives. But, you know, there was an old kind of ecosystem, and whether that was a content ecosystem or a advertising ecosystem or a creativity ecosystem, and everybody lived by, you know, these old ways of doing things. And then what ended up happening was that the cost of production to develop great work, you know, decreased drastically, like really, really quickly. So at one point, if you wanted to make a quote unquote TV show, you needed studios and cameras and, you know, triple scale talent and makeup people and everything. And then boom, you know, everybody can shoot and broadcast a, you know, a live TV show with the phone and they're like, you don't need the truck on this with satellites in the driveway, you know, and then you can just do it from your phone. And so when you combine that ability for anybody to just crank on stuff with their desire and their ability because of cost and ease of production to develop things that are really, really niche, um, what that comes up, what that creates is this really compelling and creative uh, expression Mm. or, or, or an ability to express themselves. And so more and more people are turning to niche content, more and more uh, people are turning to the new way of both expressing themselves and consuming content consumption. So, and and with all that, they don't need, they don't have a legal department that's stepping in the way. They don't have eight layers of (laughs) assistant brand manager and associate brand manager to a senior brand manager to an executive brand, you know, like, it's just it's th- that old way of doing things is just uh, there is an alternative universe, and that universe mm. is kicking. I like ass. that, man. I like that. That that sort of expression of self is, uh, in terms of what you're saying, also kind of going to that niche content space. When was it for you? I'm kind of curious on the personal side. Like, when did you know that you wanted to be in the creative area? When, like, why was it so compelling to step in? 
Well, I started as an account guy, which is weird. Uh, I was an account guy running the Intel business for an agency called Euro RSCG. Mm-hmm. And, but, I was all, but I was also a comedian and doing stuff, uh, you know, kind of performing in clubs and touring and stuff. And I was, uh, I was uh, as horrible as it sounds, I was caught in a hotel fire in uh, 2001, I believe. Um, and uh, I have to be plucked from the <laughs> hotel by fire, by uh, the fire crew. And I went back to the agency, sat down with the president and said, my life flashed before my eyes and account services wow. didn't make the final cut. So I want to move into the creative department and kind of have my comedy career align more closely mm-hmm. with my advertising career. So that was like, I need to get into creative and I combined. need to have those worlds uh, combined. There's an expression, you know, because mm-hmm. creativity is really just expressing yourself. Um, I did my very first performance in grade 10 where I did a, I wasn't my material. I basically impersonated a comedian on stage in front of my entire high school. And that first time when you tell a joke and it was somebody else's joke, but I told it and you know, and 800 people laugh. That's a pretty powerful for somebody who's like what are fifteen years old, and you can. Um, oh <laughs> my god! I was like, I felt that, and I was like, I want that yeah. again. How do I get that? Like, what do I do where I can stand on the stage and have people laughing at things I say? That's incredible. So that was the first moment of like being able to deliver something in a creative and compelling way, mm. and have like immediate reaction from a crowd just in time yeah, reaction. yeah i know that, that that's amazing uh, and I, I know and then and then you know as you develop that yeah sorry go ahead yeah we, when we as you develop that as you develop that more and more um then it becomes less about the satisfaction becomes less about the response and more about the desire to express yourselves and now i mean speaking as a little bit of all that but, you know, but the book itself is, you know, this latest book coming out, that is a complete expression. And well, I think it's an amazing book. And I, I absolutely loved writing it. Mm. I actually don't care what people think. Like, I don't care. I don't care. You don't <laughs> like it. You don't like it. I don't give a shit. The, for me, the joy was writing it and kind of coming mm. up with the thoughts that went into it. And if, if I write something that, I think it's funny. That's the satisfaction. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing, man. And actually, like one of the things I remember you saying was you also use a lot of your kind of uh, comedic instincts or capabilities in your speaking, not necessarily just to be funny, but also to be effective because you're trying to capture someone's attention. One of the things that comes to my mind, though, very quickly when you're when you were saying that last statement, like the, uh, about you sort of not giving a shit, like this is kind of an expression of, of yourself and you don't really care <clears throat> what the response is necessarily. but as a as maybe a, a creative director as a content creator someone who's trying to capture someone's attention how do you then balance you know taking into account people's sort of feedback what they're looking for and and encounter that with what you're trying to organically express within yourself yeah there's a balance now when i say i don't give a shit what people think that's around something that that is a pure sense of creative expression if i'm creating work mm. for clients 
I most certainly care what people think uh, because that is what I'm right. being paid for. Now, when it, the, the balance between the two is, you know, I, I you know, speeches, I'm, again, I'm being paid to deliver that speech. Um, excuse me for a second. But uh, I think where we can get lost, where markers can get lost, <laughs> is that you write stuff and then you, can, you, you just constantly toggle over and go, how many likes did I get? How many likes did I get? Do people like that? What's, and then you start to go like, well, which one got the most likes? No, that's not what I do at all. I don't, uh, I, you know, I care that whether stuff is good and, but whether stuff is good and compelling is how I evaluate it for my own. I don't, I don't care how many people click on, it. I don't care whether people shared it. If they do, that's great. That's nice. I'm like that they, that, that they, that they got it and they understood it, but I only share stuff that I think is worthy of sharing. But once I hit, you know, click post, whatever happens, happens. Mm. I don't go back and go like, well, they liked it when I had a word in the headline that was candy. So maybe I got to write more blog posts with the word candy and that like, that's just people are trying to gain the system and it's bullshit and it's selling mm. your soul and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work over time. If you try and gain the system to meet the numbers and you, you that's when we end up with right. clickbait headlines. And it's bullshit and it's wrecking the industry. And and it doesn't, it just over time, it does not work. And even, and this is something that kind of Seth Godin had a conversation with my friend Mitch Joel and his podcast about. And in Seth's line was sometimes it does work. But do you really want to be that guy? Like, do you really want to be the person that's doing that crap? That's that's writing stuff with clickbaity headlines just so you can get the likes? Or doing something instead of doing that. I think I'd rather believe in something that's a little bit more important, that has a little bit more soul to it. So mm -hmm. even if it works, do you really want to be that person that does that? I don't. Yeah. yeah, it's very true. I mean, that's kind of why Instagram recently took away the likes, which I'm like, finally, man. Like, I know they, they're testing it only in Canada, but it's basically like just for people to put out actually good content, not really care about how many likes or shares you get. I mean, to your point, if you're doing something for a client and there's metrics and stuff, okay, sure. But if you're expressing it for yourself, have some substance behind it. Uh, and I think that's something you were saying too. I remember in the presentation, you're like, listen, like if a brand really wants to stand out nowadays, you really have to have purpose behind what you're putting out. So really, like, what do you stand for? So when you're working with a client, I'm assuming it's not you're not just really helping on the creative side of things, like the design, how it's going to look, et cetera, the, the sort of presentation, but you're also helping them find that content, that, that source of inspiration. Yeah, we, we certainly, you know, everything we do at the agency is based on what, you know, a great brand is, a, 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 you know, is based on what they think, what they do and what they say. Mm. And the design or the, or the campaign or the podcast or whatever, that's on the say side. But the strategy is the think side and their actions and services are on the do side. So we certainly do all three. Um, and uh, what's the point of, of, you know, having the external voice if it doesn't match some sort of internal voice? So we need to do the strategy or they need to have done it for us to show up and do an effective job with their communication so yeah we do we do and we do all, all three what do you do basically because i hear this a lot and i'm sure you do as well you know when someone comes to you and they're like listen ron i'm sure you know I, like from the presentation side we can get we can get that covered but we're not really in, in an industry where 
I can really sort of put purpose behind the brand or, or come up with a tagline that we really kind of believe in. Like, you know, we might be selling burgers or something. And I remember you saying something, but I want you to kind of address that here for people uh, listening. So when they come to you and they're like, listen, I'm, I'm kind of a, a pretty boring industry as an example. How do you really create something super inspiring behind it as a brand? Well, if you're talking strategy, you know, and what we would call a brand belief that every brand needs to believe in something that goes beyond the product or service. Right. And if somebody comes to us and says, we're insurance, <laughs> we don't believe, you know, it's boring. We don't believe in anything. I would go, what? <laughs> okay. First of all, if that's your attitude. Good luck. <laughs> then, cause then you have nothing to talk about. Really? Your policies mm. are so unique. And so compelling that when compared to the to every other insurance policy out there, yours are going to be that much better. No, come on. In insurance, like that's just that's not the case. So how are you going to separate yourself? Well, we're going to you maybe we're going to do it through service is more important. So what is it about customer service? Well, you know, we believe that we should that you know it's our responsibility and it's not the the uh, the customer's responsibility so we need to service them the best way possible oh okay so you believe that there are more important things to to for a consumer to be bothered with than their insurance policy yeah okay so you do believe in something more important now how do we back that up through your actions and how do we talk about that in a compelling way so we just kind of push them on it as i think um People just assume that uh, organizational purpose and brand purpose and brand belief is really only for people who believe in a social issue or a social cause, right? We believe in equality in the workforce, in the workforce, or we believe that uh, you know, um, uh, you know, alcohol is a bad thing, or whatever. And that's not the case. We, we, we can believe in things that are more important than the product or the service we provide, but those definitely do not have to, and in most cases should not be aligned with a social issue or a social policy. Because then you're just talking right. about the things that you think people want you to talk about. There's, you're stating that you believe in something that actually has no direct link to the product you provide. You know, you know a couple of years ago, Audi... Um, had a Super Bowl spot mm. uh, around gender equality in the workforce. And people are like, oh, it's so nice that their purpose is around gender equality. And I called bullshit on it and said, no, come on. That's not why they make cars. That is not corporate purpose. That is, that is a really important issue. That is something for equality in the workforce. That's mm -hmm. not why Audi makes cars. Come on. And so yeah. if, you, if you only believe in this social issue, social cause, the consumers will, they smell it a mile away where they go, eh, I'm, I'm smelling like you're just trying to act like something that you're not, that you're trying to believe in something that you believe is popular or that is a big topic of conversation now, but it's not why you make cars. Mm. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's very true. It's almost like fake corporate social responsibility, right? Let me just put it out there because I think it's going to hit. Versus like, what are you actually doing? And in, in an age where there's so much transparency, to your point, Ron, like, uh, you know, you really can't BS anymore, especially from a brand perspective. That sort of begs the question, like, what brand do you think is really effective now that you're, you know, that you're observing, that you're tracking? Are, are there a couple of brands where you where you look at them and you're like, damn, like, that's that's the holy grail of what I'm trying to to do here as a creative 
no, I mean, there's, I mean, there's, there's 500 brands that I really respect and I really like, and I'm always interested and curious about what they're doing. And, and it sometimes it's because of the products and that they're, de- that they're developing and, and, and their approach. Sometimes it's the language that you're using. Sometimes it is their, you know, their focus on CX and the you know, customer experience and employee experience. So, I mean, and I think there's a, a million different brands that are doing amazing, wonderful things. Um, and, um, uh, you know, is, is there one, like, I don't know. I mean, you know, Nike has been pretty bold over yeah. the last year. They won, I, I think, ad of the year in yeah. my perspective, with the Colin Kaepernick stuff. I think that's really interesting and timely and linked to the product that they, that they provide. And, um, you know, they hit it out of the park. Do they always get it right? Nope. Not all the time. Uh, we need to do that. We need to identify the ones who are getting it right in certain areas and talk about that, about what's right about it and see if we can pursue, um, uh, similar patterns, you know? Yeah. Yeah. At the same time, I'll, I'll slightly contradict myself here at the same time. I, I think that we have to stop talking about these big, massive global brands because you know, when you look at the percentage of businesses that are small business and when you look at the percentage of leaders who are middle managers, um, to say, you know, like for my new book coming out, uh, it's, it's, it, it, here's the pitch that it's called think to say in stores, October 8th. Um, you heard it. here. I purposefully. Yeah, exactly. I purposefully did not mention Apple once, not mm-hmm. once. Because you're like, really, I'm, you own a paving company in Markham, and I'm telling you, you should act like Apple? Come on. They're a trillion-dollar company <laughs> that is a massive global organization with a legacy of product and innovation behind them that was led by an incredible one in a four billion type people. And I'm saying you should live, up, you should mm-hmm. live like those guys? That's ridiculous. I'm going to a leader and saying, and I'm going to quote Gandhi, and say, that's right, you should be like Gandhi. And they're like, Gandhi? You expect me to act like Gandhi? This is, the, this is like one man, like the best human being in all of humanity. And this is what I'm supposed to aspire to be like? I'm just <laughs> gored. I work in middle management in a pharma company. Like, come on. This is that, you know, kind of bacon in reality to go like, look, like there's only one apple. And quite, flank, quite frank, frankly, if we're honest, they're beginning to slip in a couple of different ways. So maybe they're not the, the example that we that we should be sharing with people. Maybe we should be sharing more accessible um, uh, examples of businesses, local businesses that just have a great business. They've got a loyal following. Um, why can't we talk about those people? Mm. If, if I were to ask you, and, and you, you, you could only choose one, one of the two that I'm about to say, and you could only go with that one alternative, which one would it be? Product first or marketing first? Like a strong marketing, strong product, which one would you choose? Oh, product every single time. Every single Amen. time. That's and if somebody puts marketing first, then then they there is no business there. If you believe that your marketing should be stronger than your product, then then you've got it wrong. Um, <laughs> wrong. And what, what that does is it means that you're just in constant acquisition mode, which is what we call an integrity gap. So if your marketing is promising something that your product can't deliver, you're in constant churn, you're losing customers, and you're just in constant acquisition mode because nobody ever hangs around. That's bullshit. 
And that is no way. I think it's almost, you know, if you're consciously doing that, that is unethical and immoral. And the best product is if you've developed a product that doesn't mm. need marketing. And I say that as a marketer. That's the best marketing there is. The best marketing yeah. there is is no need for marketing. Yeah, like when the product almost markets itself, people love it so much that they, they do it for you. That's really, and the marketing is like almost the cherry on the top. It really kind of packages this whole thing. But uh, to your point, it's... Yeah, it's, there, you know, like there are some speakers who do that, right? So some speakers who, who would be like, I got, a, I, got, I got 400 speech, different speeches. I'm always writing a new speech. And... I've got an amazing website, an amazing logo, and I've got a full back-end data thing, and I've got an email newsletter that goes out. And I always look at that and I go, yeah, but what about the speech? Is the speech any good? Like your content and your delivery, is that any good? Because if that's good, gigs get you gigs. Somebody will look and see you speak and they go, I should bring this person in because that was incredible. But if you're putting more time and effort into the data capture and into the website and the content and everything else, my gut tells me that you're doing that because your product isn't where it needs mm. to be. Go back and build. That's product. very true. Even for, for you, like for maybe for people listening, like your personal brand, it reminds me a lot of a comedic as well. Uh, sorry, a comedian as well. Like you can promote, uh, you know, your show as much as you want. You can have the best promoters, the best content around it. But when people get, you know, to, to the show itself, when you step on stage, if the product, i.e. you, you know, the substance, i.e. the content isn't good enough, as much as you dress it, you know, if if it tastes bad, it tastes bad, you know? I believe the expression is lipstick on a pig. Lipstick on a pig. I like that. Lipstick on a yeah. pig. Yeah. yeah. Well, so what, what do you think now... Uh, in terms of, you know, especially for a lot of the, the businesses out there, you were talking sort of on the small to medium size, which is kind of what comprises most of Canada, who are not re really sold on this whole kind of online presence, you know, the marketing. What, what would you tell them? Like, how would you spark that belief that they actually have to get with the system? Because, you know, you sort of have to ride the wave before you get caught in it. Sorry, can you repeat that? I, I lost you there for a second. So basically we're saying like, you know, if you look at most of the companies in Canada, they're in, you know, they're on the sort of small to medium size. Um, a lot of them are not maybe sold on, on, you know, being present online. You know, you hear this a lot, like, um, especially even from a personal brand, like I, I'm afraid to put myself out there. I don't really know what to say. How would you sell them on the belief that they kind of have to ride the wave before they get caught in it? Well, um, I would say, are you a professional or not? Because mm. this is what professionals do. You're like, well, I don't know what to say about my brand. I don't know. Well, well you have to figure that out. There are, there, are, there are tools that can help you. There's a strategy approach that can help you and everything else. But uh, this is what pros do. It's kind of like, I don't need a strategy. I'm just going to do random work. Really? Great. And that works for the world's best marketers? No, it does not. That's not what grown-ups do. That's not what pros do. So I think if you if you want to be a pro, Maybe. act like a pro. If you want to be an amateur and just have a hobby, as you know, there are there are people out there who who have built massive social followings 
and who will talk about their personal brand. And the reality is they don't make mm. any money and they don't have a business to do with that. And that's great if you want to pursue a hobby. I'm not saying, I'm not saying the world in, it begins and ends with money. But if you want to do it as a hobby and you want to spend your, your, your rec time sharing you know, thoughts on Facebook, then that's amazing. And that makes you happy. That's incredible. Great. Go for it. If you want to cross over and this is what you want to do as a job, then I would say, wouldn't you want to be as, as successful in that job? Don't you want to put food on your table for your family? And if that's right, then act like a pro. This is what that leads me to, to ask you. I mean, for a lot of people listening, they might want to start their own agency. Uh, think of think of like someone, you know, in their maybe mid-20s to 30s. Like what, what advice would you give someone knowing now, obviously, all the things that, that you know, going through all the things that you have with the experience? What advice would you give them if they're looking to start an agency similar to, you know, what you did uh, with, with Church and State? <laughs> I would say... I'd say Sorry. don't start an agency. What are you <laughs> don't doing? Compete. Don't start an agency. Jeez. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I, I would, I would say, you know, when I started the agency, I didn't start the agency because I wanted to start an agency. I wanted to pursue an idea that I had, and when I started the pursuit of that idea that brands need to be media properties and media properties need to be brands. I didn't know what that was going to be as. I didn't know whether it was going to be a consulting company. I didn't know whether it was going to be a production company. I started with, I need to figure that out. I need to figure that problem out. And how do I do that? And, and so the result of it was like, oh, I guess the structure to do that is how one would traditionally define an agency. And I don't know that we're a traditional agency, but it's probably the best descriptor of what we are. Um, but I don't really care if that's what people call us or not. We're really more about kind of figuring out the work and helping clients succeed. You can call us a consultant. Sometimes we act in a traditional consulting thing way. Other times we act as a traditional, you know, customer experience uh, implementer. I don't know. It doesn't really matter to me. But it started with me trying to figure out a problem. So I, I would say, like, don't start an agency. Solve a problem. And then whatever form you need to take to solve the problem, do gotcha. that. What is the background behind uh, Church and State? Like, how did you come up with, with that name for, for the agency? I'm kind of curious. Well, the agency used to be called the Tight Group. And I started, when I started the agency, I thought that far too many agencies were spending way too much time <laughs> coming up with wonky names. And uh, so I just said, oh, it's called the Easy. tight group. There you go. Yeah. Boom. Done. Now let's, let's move on to build the business. Yeah. And then I, and then I realized, you know, and it started with just me behind a desk. I was the only person and I started to do, I was every, and then I, you know, hired one person and then I hired two people and I hired three people, hired four people. And then eventually, uh, Jules is standing, is sitting beside me here. Jules can attest. I am not a person in any way, shape, or form. And nor am I a financial person. Uh, there's so many things that, uh, skills that one needs to run an agency that I am completely void in. Mm. And I realized that very early on and realized that I had to bring in other equity partners. So I, I so the, by calling it the tight group, I felt that it was just, it was way too aligned with m my name when in fact there were, there are now 20 people here. And, 
19 of them have nothing to do with the name mm. type. So I thought that wasn't fair. Um, I also didn't think that it was strategically aligned with what we did. And again, when I started, I didn't know what that was. I just wanted to solve the problem. And then over time, it was like, oh, this now I know exactly what we do, and I know exactly the world that we live in. And, and it was this notion that, you know, I think that the unification of content and advertising has occurred. And so that's the strategic rationale for it. The creative rationale was I was literally um, uh, sitting with a friend of mine named Bram Warshavsky, who was the founder of Five Crowd, and we were talking about stuff. And I said, I said the phrase church and state, and Bram <laughs> just quickly said, that'd make a great agency name. And I said, ah, yeah, it would. It would be a great agency name. And then two years went by, and I called him, and I said, hey, I just invested in a production company. I think I'm going to call the production company Church and State. Are you cool with that? And he's like, yeah, yeah, like I'm never going to use it. And then I didn't do it, and then another year went by, and then he just saw the article that we had changed the agency name to Church and State, and he called me right away. And as soon as I saw it was him, I answered the phone by saying, <laughs> what took you so long? That's funny. So it was that just natural conversation. It was like, that'd be a great name. It was like, yeah, it would be. And then when it came down to renaming the agency, it was like, hey, remember the thing? I, we should just call it that. It's funny how some some things just emerge out of uh, sort of pure randomness, you know? Like, uh, I like that. So, so sometimes creativity can can spark out of the, the weirdest ways. Kind of... Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we generated a bunch of other names. Um, the the there were a couple of funny ones the one funny one i thought and this is the idea of lionel wong as our creative director yeah the idea was that we would change the name from the tight group t-i-t-e group mm. to just tight but spell it t-i-g-h-t uh, um and uh i thought that was i thought that was really really funny um but uh, i was again a little too focused on me and i, I wanted to not do that yeah, shout out to uh, Lionel, by the way. I actually saw him speak at uh, Shopify uh, a while ago. And uh, I mentioned to you, obviously, Emily, who who knows that we're doing this now, uh, you know, works at yeah. Church State as well. So I wanted to ask, like, what now that you're growing the team, what do you look for in, in people specifically? I mean, I know there's different roles that you hire for and, and so on. But on the creative side, uh, is there like an it factor you look for aside from just obviously pure qualifications? We don't look for qualifications because I don't think qualifications mean anything. I, I, like, I don't know, like you you have a photoshop diploma like I, like I don't know i mean you have a a degree from somewhere i don't really care i really don't care mm-hmm. um in terms of the specific thing we look for and i will say we because when it comes to hiring creative talent i completely defer to lionel lionel is responsible for the creative product of this agency and so he should be responsible for the people who deliver it and um, and so I don't step in on that at all. I'm happy to give him my perspective if he asks, and sometimes he does, but he's responsible for it. He's accountable. Um, what, what does Lionel look for? I think Lionel looks for a cultural fit within the group because it's a collaborative environment, so somebody who's going to be able to, to act as a great team player. I think Lionel's looking for somebody who can, who can conceptualize, who can think about creative ideas, but who, who can also execute. Um, I think Lionel's looking for somebody who who has implementation as a passion that, you know, we of our creative groups, you know, John is an illustrator and, you know, you know, Emily is a photographer and, you know, like I, 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 you know, Lionel, you know, had one point designed a a fashion line. Um, You know, I'm a comedian by (laughs) trade. So everybody has these like interesting creative pursuits 
outside of the thing that we do on a daily basis. And I think that allows us to bring a different creative perspective to the work that we do for clients. What are you most proud of right now? If you look back on all of your work, is there one thing that you can kind of look back on and say, whether it's a piece of content, something that happened, that you could say, damn, like after you know everything I've been through, this is kind of the, the thing I can look at and say I'm really proud of doing? I'm really proud of doing whatever the next one is. Like, I, you know, I don't, I, I think we are, you know, I grew up in a, in a predominant, for the most part, a single parent household on social assistance. Mm. Uh, you know, growing up in a very rough part of town. And the fact that I get to do this on it, like, what? That's crazy. Come on. This, like, how can we come? Life is wonderful. Life is absolutely wonderful. And I'm not digging ditches for a living. And this is incredible. I mean, you know, um, you know, my mom raised four kids on her own in social assistance. I get to do this. This is nuts. So whatever is the next thing that shows me that I get to get up and do it again and make the money that we get to make, which isn't millions, obviously, but, you know, I get to feed my family and have a, a wonderful life. This is incredible. It's all incredible. And so whatever the next opportunity is, and I get to apply creativity to helping somebody solve a problem or that is fun and, and lively, um, that's, that's better than 99.9% of the people who live in the world. People are struggling for drinking clean drinking water. Uh, mm. So I don't know. I mean, I, what am I most, I'm proud of all the variables that have allowed me, all the decisions I made and the upbringing that I had and the luck that I had and everything else that allows me to do this that got me to this place. That's really cool, man. I, I really appreciate uh, that, that sort of perspective. And although, uh, I, th I think a lot of people listening probably resonate. I, you know, hearing that as a reminder once in a while can can definitely help because I feel like you know there's always things to to point at or maybe complain or do stuff in a, in, in a non positive way. But just kind of taking a step back and saying like to your point, you know, uh, you know, working in an agency like we get to be creative and work on cool stuff versus maybe digging a ditch. You know, I I, I would I would say that's extremely great as a, as a situation. Oh yeah. And I, and I don't, by the way, I don't mean to sound that I'm, you know, the, the wings of an angel every single day. And I, <laughs> there are certain moments where I yell and rant and get completely pissed off and frustrated whether, and yeah. Jules is laughing. <laughs> yeah, of course I do. I wouldn't be human, right? I mean, yes, I, I can be on a plane and something happens and I get really ticked off. Mm. Of course, I'm human. Um, but I do remind myself in those moments to take a step back and uh you know and remember and reflect on ah, pfft, really what's the worst that's gonna happen i'm lucky that my wife manages the emergency department of a downtown oh, no hospital way. in toronto St. Mike's. and so she see yeah yeah she sees stuff on a daily basis that reminds me like you know what do you think you're born a creative or you, you become creative as you grow Well, I think we're, I think both. I think we are born creative. I mean, I think, and you know, no kid, you know, if you go into a kindergarten, everybody's a painter. Everybody's a painter. Nobody says I don't paint. Nobody says I can't sing. You know, everybody can sing. Everybody can sing. But it's only until we get older when, when it gets beat out of us, right? When we think like, oh, I can't sing as good as somebody. No, but you can sing. 
So I think we're, and that was part of the artist book, right? Was like, everybody is an artist in our heart of hearts. We are all artists. We have this desire to express ourselves. I think where um, we become more creative or can, where we can become more creative um, as we grow older is that we become incredibly focused on the thing that really drives the most satisfaction. So every kid can finger paint. Well, not, not every kid drives like an amazing amount of satisfaction from it. One kid goes, yeah, it's fine. I can paint, but I really, we, we become more comfortable, more confident with what makes us happy. And, um, and so we begin to choose certain pursuits over other pursuits creatively. creatively. Mm. That's really interesting. Yeah, I, I, I can see where, where you're going with it. It's, it's almost like you build a preference to do one thing. And hopefully if you have, you know, decent EQ, like you're, you'll follow that, uh, whatever you're, you're probably naturally strong at that you can also build as a capacity. That's, that's kind of what you did, right? Like you, earlier you were saying, you know, I, I kind of reflected that I'm really good in this, but I, I might not be good on the finance side or the accounting side. And you have to obviously align where, where people can complement your weakness. Yeah, but it's also like a, um, and this is where ego gets in the way, right? Like when I went from doing club comedy as a stand-up comedian to being a speaker, trust me, go to a party. It's way less cool to say that you're a corporate speaker than to say that you're a comedian. Mm. It was really cool to walk into a party and say, what do you do? I'm a comedian. Really, right? People's eyes perk up and they want to ask you questions. (laughs) Tell us a joke, Ron, on the spot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. (laughs) But the reality was, even though everything in society told me that if I had the ability to do that and an opportunity to do it, that I should do that, the reality was when I stood on stage, I didn't get as much as much satisfaction in a comedy club as I did doing a speech in a corporate environment. I just didn't. And, and so it takes confidence to go like, you know what? I know what makes me happy. This thing over here. This makes me way more happy. I'm going to pursue that. And I want to become better at that. Not that other thing that everyone tells me I should be better at. Or that I, that I should. Did you pursue. find it hard though reinventing yourself? It's almost like, I mean, that, that's another thing with brands, right? Like you have to constantly, you know, pivot, adjust, add things, shift. Um, especially for people who might be scared to sort of reinvent. I know like Lady Gaga is uh, sometimes used as an example because she reinvented herself like 700 times and uh, she's done it so well. But like, you know, do you find it challenging? And if so, kind of like, what advice would you have for someone going maybe from comedy to, you know, an entrepreneur as an example? I would challenge you and say that Lady Gaga has not reinvented herself. I know what you're saying. And here's my perspective on it. Lady Gaga has always believed in the exact same thing. The, the Lady Gaga's belief in her words that people should be free to express themselves. That's what she believes in. Now, if that's her belief, then how does she pursue that belief? Well, is she a singer? Is she a dancer? Is she a choreographer? Is she a, a visual artist? Is she an actress? Is she like what? Is she a freak? I don't know. She's all those things. So it hasn't been a constant reinvention of, of who she is, but it is one set of values that she ex- explored to implement in a whole bunch of different areas. There is an aspect of that in, of, of reinvention. I think that's the problem with it is that when people think they have to reinvent themselves, they think they have to walk away completely from everything that they've done in the past and then go off in a whole new direction and, instead of building on the thing that they did. 
And so you know how you successfully reinvent yourself is by reinventing yourself every single day. So you're constantly trying new things. You're constantly curious about how you should solve a problem. You're constantly curious about going into a different direction. And, um, and that's how you just, over time, you're open to new experiences and new pursuits. And through that, you go, you realize like, oh, this thing that I just tried yesterday, I'm horrible at that, or I didn't like that. And this thing, this is really cool. I want to do more of that. How do I do more of that? And next thing you know, you're like, you go from being a comedian to a speaker, even though, you know, you maybe didn't necessarily commit to reinventing yourself. Now, uh, you know, to be honest, I did feel that what I, the, the product reinvention didn't change a heck of a lot. I went from doing comedy, uh, being a comedian who knew about yeah. business to being a funny business guy. And that from a product standpoint, it's a subtle shift. From a marketing massive standpoint, shift, yeah. that's a massive shift. So I removed my bio as a comedian. I removed references to comedy. I didn't want any of that stuff mentioned. The reality is what I did wasn't that massive mm. a shift. So you, you still expressed comedy in a business sense because you had the business base and a background. And so when you made the shift from a marketing lens, it was a bit of a, a pivot. But from a product lens, it was actually a combination of both. Nice. That's amazing, yeah, man. Exactly. Last question for you. I know uh, we got to run, but I'm kind of curious about this one. Um, so yeah, no, okay. exactly where you are today as we speak, if you were to take one thing right now that you know, just one thing, not two, not three, one thing, you go back to your 25-year-old self, which is how old I am now, uh, what would you tell yourself in that one statement? Don't change a thing. Seriously, I mean, like, I think I, I, the reason for that is, uh, you know, I'm really, really happy with who I am, where I am, and what I do. Could not be happier. And the reason I'm sitting here in this room talking to you right now is because of every single decision and experience and instance and everything that has happened from the time I was born until today. That is the reality. And so if I'm really happy with where I am, then if I, if I change something in the past and that's going to change this and I may not be happy with that new place. So, and this is, you know, we used to get into this discussion with our mom about our upbringing and, and how maybe it wasn't the most glorious upbringing in the world um but the result of that is someone that i'm really proud of and in a place that i'm really happy to be in so that contributed to my happiness so who am i to look back on that and say i would have changed a thing no i wouldn't change a damn thing um does that not mean that i now want to provide a different experience for my son of course now that i have the you know the added value of insight but um no i've I'm really happy with who I am. So I tell my 25-year-old self, don't change a bloody thing. I love that, man. So basically, no regrets. Keep doing what you're doing. Everything will make sense eventually, right? Yeah. Now, if you were to ask me what advice would I give other 25-year-olds, that's different. To other 25-year-olds, I would say pursue your passions. Uh, be a pro. Show up. Um 
and uh, and allow yourself to find yourself. And um, you know, I think that uh, you know, my very first job was working at the School of Business in Queens University, uh, launching an executive MBA program. Does that mean that I signed myself up for a career of launching executive MBA programs? Nope. But that experience certainly helped me in many, many things that I do today. So I'm, I'm glad I did it. Um, so to 25-year-olds, I would say, look, it comes down to four things. Um, Jules, you're, you're younger than 25, right? You? You're 22. Yeah, okay. So Jules, this is for you. <laughs> you are 24. 20, Jules is 24. Awesome. So Jules, this is for you. There are four things that every 24 should be, 24-year-old should be asking themselves when, at any point in a job. You need. You always need four things in a job. The first thing is, are you learning? Are you learning new things that you would have never had been exposed to before? Secondly, as an extension of that, are those things challenging? Like, are you challenging yourself so that you can so that you can uh, tackle something, complete something, and you feel satisfied in doing it because it was challenging? Thirdly, are you? Uh, having fun? Are you in an environment where you're having a fun and it's an enjoyable place? And that's not, are you making a lot of money? That's not what I mean by that. But I mean, given your experience and your title and your, your job and the contribution and stuff, are you making money that you think is fair? Are you being fairly compensated? Mm -hmm. If at any point in time, any one of those four things is at a whack, it's time to move on. So if you're challenged and you're learning and you're making money, but you're not having fun at all, Suck it up, move on, find a place that is. Either you, is there something wrong with you or there's something wrong with the place? Or you're like, wow, this is really fun and I'm, I'm doing well with money, but man, I've done this thing 400 million times. I'm not learning anything. I'm not challenged. I'm telling you, you get out. Get out and get on to other things, either new role within the organization you're with or a completely different organization. Or completely That's amazing, man. Step outside your comfort zone and do something to yeah. No, that's very timely. I was actually writing those four things down on my uh, on my phone, on my notes, uh, as you were saying it, just because uh, I actually made a recent transition as well. So a lot of that resonated with me, uh, more so on the, you know, like, is this the is this the thing that really excites you the most? And it's not to say the, you know, the, I was a big fan of the firm, still, still am, like, big fan of, uh, you know, of, of the CEO as well, we're still on great terms. It's just, I, I guess sometimes the role isn't, isn't, um, you know, what excites you the most? Like, is this what draws you the most passion? And sometimes you have to actually execute it and, and jump into it to find out. Uh, and if not, that's not the end of the world. To your point, you just make a shift and, and find something that better suits you. So it's yeah, very timely. Yeah, yeah. and I, lo I love that you still have the respect for the CEO, right? Like, I think that, uh, of course. yes, can people be screwed around in jaws by men? Yeah, of course, that happens all the time. But I think it happens just as much the other way where people screw management or, or screw an, an organization around and then point fingers. Mm -hmm. Like, let's all just be adult about this. Exactly. You know, businesses are businesses and decisions have to be made. And if you don't like the decisions that are made for you, then what you need to do, which is why I did what I did, you need to go into business mm -hmm. for yourself. You need to put yourself in a position where you can control your own destiny. And when you get there, you will realize you don't control. <laughs> you still your have destiny. Come, yeah. clients. You don't. Like, you don't. 
Well, it's kind of like you know, if people comedians would come to me and go like, "Oh, like so you do some corporate comedy like back in the day?" And I was like, "Yeah, like oh, you sold your soul. You're having somebody like really? Oh yeah, go get a show on CTV or NBC and get notes from the network and see how much freedom you have sure. to do the comedy you want to do." I'm sorry, friends, but you know you got to put as many variables in your favor. But we all have clients. We mm. all have customers. That's a really We're not good as reminder. Free as we think we are. Like I could get like, oh, I don't want to do this, this, uh, this thing anymore. <laughs> I don't want to do banner ads. I don't want to do banner ads. Forget that. I'm going to fire that client. Oh, really? And I'm going to, I'm going to let three people go who's depending on me to give them paycheck every two weeks. No, I can't do that. I can't just do that kind of stuff, even though it's my company. Yeah, I can't do it. I always I give never like the it. same advice, but more more for like uh, tech entrepreneurs who think it's very glamorous to always raise money. You know, like you ever heard someone say, "Oh, like I just raised a seed round or a Series A," and people are like, "Oh man, being an entrepreneur is so freeing, right? Like you're your own boss." Yeah. And I'm like, keep saying that until you raise money, and then you have investors down your neck, kind of, you know, making sure you execute on the capital that they gave you. You know, you won't feel so free anymore, right? So. Not to say that that's a negative connotation on VCs on any part, but I'm just saying, uh, to your point, like there's always someone you're going to have to be accountable for. If not yourself, there's always another person. Yeah, I will agree with you, though, that this notion, this glorification of the entrepreneurial path is I'm mm. kind of done with it. I mean, I like, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, some people are great at it. And but but the, but there's now that become this expectation that we should all be entrepreneurs. And I, I, I don't believe in that for a second. I, I think it's a skill set. Some people are good at it. Some people aren't. Some people need to do it because they can't work for anybody. But there's nothing wrong with a job. Mm. There's absolutely nothing wrong with going. I don't want to be an entrepreneur. I don't have no desire to do that. I want to work in a company that has infrastructure, that has policies and procedures and things in place. I don't want to be working in a house <laughs> where I'm roommates with twelve other people or we're eating ramen. Like I just I don't want to be eating pumpernickel sandwiches in a meeting room. All right. <laughs> Seriously, just kicking the right. kitchen. Thanks a lot, Ron, man. I really appreciate your time. I want to ask before, before we uh, uh, kind of leave on this is um, one, just a quick reminder. When is your new book going to come out? Where can people find it? And then two, where can people connect with you? Uh, oh, yeah. Well, thank you for that, for the ability to pre-sell my book. It's available now for pre-sell. Okay. Uh, pre-sale. You can pre-order it now at all your major uh, book retailers. The book is called Think, Do, Say, How to Seize Attention and Build Trust in a Busy, Busy World. Uh, the actual launch, I think, is October 8th in North America. Nice. Uh, I'll be doing a Canadian launch, and then I'll be launching at the Coca-Cola CMO Summit in Chicago um, in the U.S. And um, and where can people connect with me? Well, it's one of the benefits of having seven letters in your first and last name. Everything <laughs> is just Rontide. Twitter is at Rontide. Facebook slash Rontide. Instagram at Rontide. LinkedIn, there's not many Rontites. Just, yeah, you can Google away. You can't get it wrong. Mr. Rontite, thanks again, man. Really appreciate having you. If you ever get the chance, really do connect with him. Uh, and if you have the, the the sort of, I would say, honestly, pleasure, because uh, I've seen a lot of people speak, man. Very few are as engaging as you are. So, uh, and, I, and I mean that genuinely. So thanks again for, for making the time for me. Thanks, George. I really appreciate those nice words. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks again, Jules, for also uh, kicking it with us. And uh, yeah, man, I'll see you soon. You're welcome. <laughs> Did you hear that? Are you <laughs> hearing him as well? Yeah. Oh, you are. Okay, okay, okay yeah. Uh, Jules says you're welcome. Yes. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Okay, awesome. Have a great weekend, George. You too. Bye-bye.